Stories, fables, ghostly tales. The trespasser in the night is knocking on their door. They hide, fearing for their lives. There's something with this house. There's something there. Something that takes away a part of you. Welcome, listeners, to the no sleep story titled, There Was Someone in My Yard Last Night, and I Don't Know What To Do About It, by Donut Boy 456781. I have my Earl Grey tea full of rich bergamot goodness and the heater on to keep me warm. So, turn off the lights, turn up the sound, and get ready for something different. There was someone in my yard last night, and I don't know what to do about it. Update 3. Unsurprisingly, things since my last update have been insanely hectic. I truly haven't found the time to write for you all until right now. So I am sorry for all the worry I've caused anyone with the abrupt ending of my previous post. My wife and I, luckily, are once again okay. We're still very shaken up by every little terrifying thing that has happened in the last two days, but thankfully we will be fine. Our bond has only strengthened during all of this, so that is a massive positive in a boatload of negatives. Before I get into the finer details about last night, I want to address something a lot of you have been saying the past two days. It was a bad move for me to withhold the truth from Mary. I thought I was doing the right thing in the moment, but lying to her was a bad idea. I could have gotten her killed, and that makes me feel awful. I came clean with her earlier today, and she handled it about as well as I could have expected. My face is still red where she slapped me, but she accepted my apology. I'm not perfect, but I'm glad that my most recent blunder didn't cause any irrevocable harm. Anyways, here's everything I know about what happened last night. When I heard the first bangs on the front door, I could tell almost immediately the door had no chance of keeping out whoever or whatever was trying to get in. I posted the update, grabbed the shotgun, and took my terrified wife to the closet. It was the safest option, really. There's only one entrance in the surprisingly spacious closet, and we were able to block the door with our wooden shoe rack. I kept the shotgun in hand until we emerged from our makeshift panic room almost a half hour later. Our house is pretty compact, and the closet we hid in is right above the entryway to the house, so we were still able to hear what was happening downstairs pretty clearly. And then we heard the door splinter and then slam heavily to the floor in a heap. We then heard the heavy pounding of feet on our wood floor as whatever was downstairs did who knows what in the entryway. The most disturbing thing we heard, though, was its voice. Well, it's complicated. It didn't really speak. It just loudly growled and groaned guttural gasps as it, I don't know, scurried around in our entryway. Mary cuddled close to me, whimpering, and barely managed to get a petrified whisper out to me. Is he saying words? I hadn't focused on whether it was saying anything before then, 
so I tried to discern any words that I could understand and, sure enough, I could sort of distinguish what sounded like gibberish between the seemingly pained moans coming from downstairs. It was something like Guck Bich Preval Va He Tesseret. It repeated these same sounds for a few minutes, making rough and sporadic stops in between them, and also occasionally stopping to make pained wheezing sounds. It sounded like a man who had his vocal cords irrevocably damaged was trying to chant something. It was a terrible sound, like a thousand nails on chalkboards. Then, after a moment of listening to this disturbingly melodic gibberish, our home fell silent again. Mary and I looked at each other. I'm almost positive we both were thinking the same thing at that moment, that we wouldn't leave the closet until we were 100% sure that whatever was downstairs was gone, no matter how quiet it got. And sure enough, after five minutes or so, we heard a loud shriek and the now familiar pounding of heavy footsteps on our wooden floor as it sprinted deeper into our house. My heart skipped about ten beats as we heard it pounding on a door inside the house. We would have heard him come up the steps if it was the door to our bedroom. So we both breathed a sigh of relief as we heard him forcing his way into our basement. Everything else happened almost too quickly to process. We heard the door to the basement break with a similar crackle as the front door, followed by a few thuds in immediate succession, followed then by the bangs of footsteps made as it charged down into our basement. We heard another, relatively distant but still blood-curdling shriek come from the creature, and then silence again. It wasn't much longer before we heard a shout coming from downstairs. Police! Come out with your hands up! The police arrived on the scene in full force. Probably 20 minutes after receiving my call, I had told the operator I was fortifying myself in my bedroom and where the bedroom was, so I wasn't too surprised to hear knocking on the door minutes after they had entered the house. I was still a little nervous to leave the safety of the closet as my imagination had me worried that whatever had broken into my house was disguising itself as a police officer to lower my guard. But when the voice on the other side of the door addressed me by name, I realized that it was Sergeant James speaking with me. If you don't remember, he was one of the officers who came into my house when I first phoned the police about the trespasser. He escorted Mary and I out of the house while the rest of the police officers marched down into the basement. There were even more officers with their guns at the ready outside. I finally felt safe for the first time all night. Sergeant James took us to an ambulance parked at the end of our driveway, where paramedics awaited us to make sure we were okay. After we were cleared medically, we hopped into Sergeant James's patrol car and he took us to the station for questioning. I should backtrack a little bit, even though Sergeant James clearly wanted us to get out of the house as quickly as possible, I was to observe the chaos that lay on the floor just inside my front doorway. There were the expected but disturbing sights, such as a wrecked front door lying on the floor and the large scratch marks on the doorframe. But there was one unexpected piece of evidence that disturbs me on a whole different level. The police have said nothing about it still, no matter how much I've asked. Starting on the front porch, splashed upon the splintered piece of the door that lay upon the floor, and streaking all across the floor in a jagged line leading to the basement door, was a crimson 
substance. Obviously, my first guess would be blood, but since this whole situation is extremely bizarre, I can't really be sure. If anyone has any ideas on what this is, or why the creature would just be bleeding all over the place, please let me know. I don't know if the police are withholding information from me, or simply do not know the truth themselves, but I can't stop thinking about it. Once we got to the police station, Mary and I were given time to relax as best as we could. We hugged each other and cried, and that's pretty much all we've been able to do since leaving the house. It's hard to relax during times like these. They began questioning us just a little before 7am. Most of the questioning was uneventful or pertained to things I already mentioned, so I won't bore you all with too many details. However, one of the detectives stated that whatever I had discovered in my yard two nights ago was most likely not human. He based this on an examination of the marks on my front door frame, basement door, and some of my walls. The examination revealed that they were simply too deep and too wide to be caused by normal human fingernails. They were caused by something more durable than fingernails, maybe a large knife, or maybe large claws. And the forensics suggests that the marks are so uniform in length and distance between each other that they are too precise to be caused by separate blows. Unsurprisingly, they told us that we won't be able to stay in our house for a significant amount of time, which I am perfectly fine with. Mary was able to get us a room in a cheap hotel for now, and we will most likely make the trip to Mary's sister's to stay with her until we figure out what to do. I'm writing this now from our hotel room. My laptop was kept as evidence, and I gave the police permission to check the surveillance cameras on it. So I'm using my phone to write this. I don't know what happened in my small quiet neighborhood after I left my house early this morning. The police are being secretive about everything. But I don't really care at this point. I'm just glad that this whole situation finally seems to be under control. I'm going to catch up on the two days worth of sleep that I mostly lost out on. Have a nice night, everyone. Update. The ringing on my phone woke me up a half hour ago. I answered. On the other line was Detective Laird, one of the detectives involved with combing the crime scene. I didn't know what to expect, since I'd already told the police everything I knew. He asked me how many exits there were to my house, to which I replied, three. There's the front door, the back door, and the storm door leading out to my basement. I said obviously the windows could be used as an exit as well, but he confirmed that none had been open or broken upon investigating the house. There was a long pause, and then I heard Detective Laird swallow air nervously. Then, he explained. Well, your house is currently surrounded by police officers and it has been since the moment we got here. Not a single officer outside has seen the intruder leave your home. Inside the house, even more officers have checked every inch and haven't found any sign that the intruder is still here. I said nothing. We've checked the security feeds on your laptop as well. We watched and rewatched and rewatched again every second of the recordings. No sign of the intruder leaving. We don't know where he went. I don't know what to do anymore. 
The final chapter. Two nights ago, after speaking with Detective Laird about the creature that broke into my home, I'm pretty sure I had a panic attack. I couldn't catch my breath, no matter how hard I tried. It felt like my throat had closed up. I shouldn't have fallen back asleep after hearing that terrifying news, but I did. I had no choice. Maybe it was all the stress of the last few days. Maybe it was the panic attack. Or maybe it was something else entirely. But I did fall asleep. And that night, I had the most vivid dream I've ever had. Usually my dreams are a jumbled mess of nonsense, but this one seemed to flow much more coherently than normal. It seemed to tell me something. I found myself in my home's entryway yet again. It was still very much in shambles like it had been when Sergeant James escorted Mary and I to safety for questioning. The door still lay on the floor, and the trail of crimson blood-like substance still flowed like a makeshift road leading to the basement. In the dream, this red path led down to the stairs and into the unfinished part of the basement, which is immediately on your right once you reach the bottom of the stairs. I didn't go into that part of the basement though, most likely because I have always been terrified of that room. When we first saw the home, this room was still being used as storage for Mrs. Maddox and her late husband's excess belongings. I never really thought about why it actually made me so uneasy. My fear of that room was as strong as it was irrational, as long as I lived there. In the main room of the basement, I saw Mary. She was facing away from me. I heard her whimpering and saw her shaking like she was the night we took shelter in our bedroom closet. I called to her, and she immediately stopped trembling. Her head snapped towards me but she never looked fully at me. Something about her was different. I wish I could explain it better, because it was so alarming, but I can't really put it into words at the moment. With her head still turned, but not fully looking in my direction, she started whispering something. We never leave. We never leave. We never leave. Leave. We never leave. 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 Never. I turned my head to my left, towards that abominable room, to see that the door wasn't there. It had unsurprisingly been broken down with the crimson red leading into that room. But I couldn't see more than a few steps past the doorway. It seemed like all the light had been drained from the room. Usually, there was enough natural light for the small windows to make out the outline of the room and its contents. Regardless of the seemingly amplified darkness, I was able to see the outline of a person standing there. The only thing I could tell for certain was that it wasn't the creature, because this figure was about my height. The figure stood in the doorway, bathed in darkness, and stretched their arm outwards towards me before being pulled backwards into the darkness. Before I could do anything in response, Mary crawled into the dark room on all fours. I tried to chase after her, but I was frozen. I jolted awake at 8.13am. 
It took me a few moments to realize that I had just been dreaming, and that I was still in the hotel room in bed next to my still sleeping wife. Like I said, I have never had a dream quite as vivid as that one. The details of my home were perfectly accurate. I knew from that moment that the dream meant something, but I'm still not really sure what exactly. At this point, I wasn't sure if I would be returning to my home to investigate further, but the dream seemed like it was trying to tell me that if I did go to my home, there was probably something of note in the basement. Mary and I got lunch and discussed what our next move should be. She was set on moving away from this place and never looking back, something that I was reluctantly leaning towards as well. We both knew that this move would alter our lives forever and would also mean we'd have to scramble for a new way to provide for ourselves, but we didn't really care at this point. We agreed that we would make a return trip to our home to get my car out of the driveway and that would be the last time we ever set foot on the property again. We determined that we would go there once we were done eating lunch and meet up at her sister's house afterwards. At our house, there was the expected hustle and bustle for a crime scene, especially for one as interesting as my home. I spoke with Detective Laird in the front yard. He told me that the house had been scoured at least six more times since we last spoke, and that there was still no creature sightings to report. The police, for all the good they've done, and for all the patience they've shown, really do seem to be hiding something from us. It's not that they seem malicious, but it seems more like they're on damage control and want to just deny everything. When I asked Detective Laird if I would be getting my laptop back anytime soon, he spewed out some rant about how the laptop seems to have a virus and how they had to take it back to the station to run diagnostics and figure out what went wrong with it. It all seemed canned, like someone above him on the law enforcement food chain told him what to tell me and hope I wouldn't question it. I didn't want trouble, so I told him he would never have to worry about me interfering again. As I walked to my car, I remembered the game cameras I'd placed in the woods. I wasn't sure if the police ever found them, but my curiosity couldn't be contained. I decided that I had a great chance to get these cameras later in the night. Worst case scenario, the police find me and I make up some BS excuse about just wanting to get my friend his cameras I borrowed. Best case scenario, I find something new that helps me understand this whole situation a little better. Regardless, I knew I had to do it to ease my troubled mind. I phoned Mary and told her that I was staying behind to help the police. I know, I'm an asshole for lying to her again, but honestly, if I told her what I was actually doing, She'd either try to keep me from looking for the truth because she was scared, or she'd want to come with me and would put herself in great danger. I think this time, it's entirely warranted. I nervously drove around until nightfall. Finally, I made my way back to my house about 9.30. It was dark and I was determined to find the truth. I really didn't want to be back at this place, but I knew that if I didn't at least look for any signs that might explain all this, that I'd likely go insane. Finding these game cameras seemed like the safest way to find the truth. 
The first thing to cross my mind when I arrived at my house after dark was a simple observation. It's a lot quieter now. And not just in the sense that it was nighttime. There were no more police officers there. Less than six hours ago, my home had been lively. There were at least eight officers still on perimeter duty, plus many other police officers inside on Monster Watch. There were forensic crews trying to find any sort of solid evidence they could use to understand what had happened within the walls of my home. The house had fallen eerily silent once again, and once again, I hated it. But I saw an opportunity. I dashed to the front porch, and inside the front door, I found waiting for me the exact same sight from my dream. My entryway was still a chaotic scene of destruction, with the crimson path summoning me to investigate the basement. I recalled my dream and the feelings I felt down below the surface. I wanted to turn around, but instead, I found myself at the top of the stairs. Looking down the stairs, I saw the destroyed door lying right where it had in my dream. I saw the crimson trail turn right and go into the terrifying unfinished room of the basement. I thought about taking a step downwards, but the silence of the house was shattered before I could. It started as a faint and constant yet indecipherable whisper. Voices emanating from the basement. As the voice grew in volume, they became more distinct but became no easier to decipher. There were at least four voices involved, but there could have easily been more voices speaking. They all spoke at once, sometimes over each other. I don't know to whom they belonged, but I knew that these voices must have been the ones Mrs. Maddox heard that caused her son to move her out. This is my attempt at transcribing some of what I heard emanating from the basement. Older man. Does anything remain in this? Younger man. Here? There? Older man. So misplaced. Woman 1. I want to... Woman 2. For reasons unknown. Younger man. I lived in the dark. I truly cannot be sure that any of this text is correct. But this transcript is the best I can do. There was a loud and indecipherable whisper that was an omnipresent undertone to what could barely be called a conversation. I also heard a woman crying at different times during the exchange. The whispering never stopped, despite the other voices speaking. While the crying was sporadic but occurred when both women's voices were speaking, I stepped onto the top step of the basement and the damn step creaked louder than a step ever has in the history of stairs. The voices immediately stopped. So did the whispering and crying. They all screeched to a halt. The unnatural silence returned. My heart did a drum roll. I ran to my car, with my legs churning unrestricted of my brain. I didn't care anymore. Fuck the truth and fuck those game cameras. I wanted to live my life. I wanted to grow old with Mary. I didn't want to end up in that basement with whatever was down there. As I started the car, I noticed the creature was now standing in the doorway of my home.
He was facing away from me, looking inside my home, as if it knew I was looking at it. It turned its head 180 degrees to look at me. It wore the same confused look on his face that it had when I had accidentally discovered it a few nights prior. It mouthed something at me, and then sprinted deeper into my house with his eyes still locked upon me. I write this final update from the comfort of my parents' beach house, over 400 miles away from my haunted little home in the middle of nowhere. Mary and I look forward to starting our new life together, far away from that place. Tomorrow begins our job search. However, I am unable to stop looking over my shoulder every time I hear the settling of this house or the crackling of the air conditioning coming alive to cool our home. There still exists dark corners of our world, untouched by the light we consider ourselves so safe inside of. If you look hard enough for them, you will find them. If you listen closely for them, you will hear them beckon you. Once you've discovered them, you will only see their darkness. We spend our lives trying to outrun them, but the truth is, we never escape them. Last night, I woke up in that basement. Mary was there. She acknowledged my presence, but never looked at me. I could hear her crying, but I don't know from where it came. We never leave. We never leave. A huge thank you to Donut Boy 456781 for allowing me to share this story with you all. So what I got out of this is that our protagonist had a piece of them taken in some way by the house, in that they visit the house in their dreams and it constantly haunts them. What are your thoughts? Do you have your own ideas as to what happened in the end regarding the whispers, the trespasses, and why the cops hushed up the whole situation? I love these kind of stories. They have so much mystery packed in them and always keep me wondering. Let me know what you think in the comments. Feel free to email me on stories, fables, ghostly tales, at gmail.com and feel free to share your thoughts with me directly via email. Also, if you have a couple of seconds to support the podcast, swing on by the iTunes page and leave a short review. Every rating helps to let others know the podcast exists, but also informs people that the show is worth listening to. And for all of you lovely listeners out there that have already done this, and not just the ones on iTunes, but also those that have subscribed to the podcast, you're helping the podcast grow, put a bounce in my step, and support all the authors whose stories appear on this podcast. It's amazing how much of an impact you lovely listeners have on bringing this show to life. So thank you. And as always, till next time.